0: Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Uh, tonight we're going to get into uh, sandblasting of facades of houses. Uh, I think in the past, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, um, the blasting media and the force and maybe the techniques used uh, were de- very degradative to the the fabric of uh, architectural facades and including statuary and things like that. So, there's a there's kind of a new uh new techniques and new media and uh so coming around again, so let's talk about uh twenty twenty uh let's call it in uh, gentle blasting okay so um so once rejected because of the damage it can inflict to historic exteriors, abrasive blasting is getting a second look, which is good now techniques that work with lower pressure and softer abrasives made from products such as ground nut shells, make it a safer option for cleaning and paint removal. Shooting grit, as they call it, at a structure's exterior is an effective method for removing paint, dirt, and other surface coatings. Unfortunately, this abrasive blasting may harm historic buildings. It can erode brick and remove mortar from joints, or obliterate detail in carvings and moldings. Standard abrasives such as industrial sand and permanently can pockmark metal and glass and soft brick. For these reasons, conventional preservation wisdom rejects um, abrasive blasting for stripping and cleaning old house exteriors. Yet uh, alternative blasting techniques are used in other fields Museum conservators use tiny nozzles to blast delicate artifacts with talcum powder, for example, Um, since the 1980s, new abrasives and novel delivery systems have begun to soften the hard line on abrasive blasting for historic buildings. So blasting without scratching the surface, that's the objective. So not all surfaces should be considered for abrasive blasting, in general, The harder the material, the better it will stand up to the process. Likewise, smoother surfaces are easy to blast clean than rough ones, and blasting won't remove embedded stains. Because most, most metals are dense, they resist the erode effects of blasting. Ferrous metals, which means containing iron, such as cast iron, wrought iron, and steel, rust in the presence of oxygen and water rust and paint are generally softer than the metal itself. So blasting can be an effective cleaner and stripper. Ferrous metals should be repainted soon after blasting to prevent the exposure that leads to rust. Non-ferrous metals such as copper, brass, and aluminum also react with water and air, forming an oxide layer which, you know, most of us knows as a patina. The layer can be removed by blasting, but this may not be wise. Unlike rust, patina is dense and actually prevents further deterioration. Removing this protective layer will expose the metal to the elements until a new patina develops. Only the latest, gentlest blasting procedures may be available to remove grime without taking the patina too. For sheet metal, only the softest gentlest blasting system should be selected because the material is thin and can easily be um, have you know misguided uh, abrasions on the surface. Most importantly, plated metal should not be blasted at all. The process could remove the thin veneer of finished metal also. When it comes to masonry, consider the density throughout the material. Some masonry units such as brick and terracotta like loaves of bread the firing process gave them hard surfaces and soft interiors so what happens when you're you're possibly blasting brick pending on the pressure in the media just say brick and as we just said the, the firing process gives you a, a hard exterior and a soft interior um it's very vulnerable to uh uh you know not just microns, but millimeters and millimeters of actual removal of material, so uh, we really have to be cognizant of this uh, you know during the process so so, the surface crust protects the interior from weathering, but what happens sometimes we have people that are ill informed and they use uh, like power uh, jackhammers and power uh, power tools to try to remove water mortar with a reciprocating type action and they actually put dents and divots into into bricks. And sometimes we can use blasting media to actually go back and smooth out some of those divots. So erosion, pollution, and dampness. So blasting uh, can remove this crust. So you have to be very careful after the initial crust. But what happens when they're removing, say, stucco over bricks, they've already removed that, quote, crust on the outside of bricks. And that's not a good thing, so. Um, So this can result in rapid weathering and uh, moisture infiltration. It can also remove decorative glazes, erode mortar joints, and spall corners or edges. Remember, too, that soft brick may need painter's protective film. Stone may be blastable, depending on the uh, particular material's durability. Hard volcanic stone, such as granite, is best suited to blasting. Soft sedentary stone, such as brownstone, is highly vulnerable. As a rule, if the stone was carved into ornaments, it is relatively soft and would be susceptible to damage. The difficulty with blasting wood is the grain. If the blasting is gentle enough to protect the soft layers, it may not remove paint from the hard ones or If the blasting is adjusted to remove paint from the hard layer, it may also cut away much of the soft layered wood. Carved or shaped woodwork is a special problem because blasting won't clean indentations and it can erode detail. Hardwoods are generally more suited to blasting than softwoods. So under pressure. So sandblasting was invented around 1871 by Benjamin Tillman of the mechanics (coughs) and the mechanics have changed little. Abrasive is released from a hopper into a chamber where it is mixed with air or water and forced out of a nozzle at a high speed. Innovations in blasting technology and machinery, um, many proprietary generally involve new nozzles that produce effective results at lower pressures. The only way to analyze Which process might be appropriate for your own purpose is to investigate their results on similar projects. Here are some common approaches. Lower pressure means less potential for damage. Standard sandblasting equipment operates at 100 to 125 pounds per square inch, PSI. The same pressure that's used to carve tombstones. A garden hose spray nozzle operates around 30 to 60 PSI. Start in that range and gradually increase the pressure until it's effective. So tests show that roughly 80 PSI is the optimum pressure to remove paint from cast iron, about the hardest surface you'll ever encounter. Stay stay below the 80 PSI for metal surfaces and lower for other materials. So a pressure gauge normally mounted on the nozzle is far more accurate than the one mounted on the compressor. Increasing the aperture of the blasting nozzle beyond the standard three-eighths of an inch operating makes the process more efficient. A larger nozzle propels a greater volume of air, utilizing more abrasive and doing work faster. And best for all, a larger nozzle throws the abrasives out into a wider pattern, reducing the risk of carving into the surface. Another spin on low pressure blasting is exactly that, a spin. The abrasive is rotated at high speeds as it projects from the nozzle. At least one process injects air, water, and fine abrasive into the nozzle at angles that causes the mix to swirl while it's inside the blaster head. The spiraling spray expands rapidly after leaving the nozzle. It's this whirlpool-like rotation, which is not strictly impact that scours the dirt surface off. The process uses extremely low pressure ranging from 7 to 35 psi. Although invented to clean stone and brick, such nozzles are said to be gentle enough to safely remove paint from wood or plaster and even to clean tile or terracotta without damaging the finish. So let's talk about alternative abrasives. The abrasives themselves have the biggest impact on the results of blasting. If the abrasive is softer or more elastic, which means pliant or pliable than the material being blasted, much of the force is absorbed by the abrasive. That results in less damage to the surface. In addition, the finer the particle size, the more effective the abrasive and less damage it will cause. Test different particle sizes and hardness at varying pressures to determine the correct choices for your house. Glass beads, and they they have been used for years to remove graffiti, dirt, pollution, and rust from bronze statuary. They are uniform glass spears about 100 microns. So micron is one millionth of a meter. In addition, because they have no sharp edges, they do not tear the surface. Glass beads are harder than most building materials, however and can be <clears throat> and can cause microscopic denting, which generally can't be seen. But that can roughen the surface visually and create little pockets to hold dirt and water in a freeze thaw situation. The aeronautics industry developed soft plastic beads to clean turbines and engine parts. Plastic beads are manufactured in a wide variety of hardness for use on different substances and substrates mainly metals and fiberglass soft enough to control damage to most building materials and effective enough to remove dirt and paint ground organic materials are good all-purpose abrasives so-called agroblasting utilize such food byproducts as corn cobs walnut shells wheat starch rice hulls peach or apricot pits and, and cherry stones which are finely ground and graded by particle size. They are inexpensive and biodegradable. Corn cobs are a good choice because they can produce less dust than the other media. Wheat starch is successful in stripping hardwoods, but it has to be used dry. Ground up shells and pits can leave the thin coating of oil on the surface, degrease with a petroleum distillate, paint thinner or methanol, and scrub with soap and water. The Statue of Liberty was blasted with sodium bicarbonate, which was baking soda. The powder was soft, biodegradable, and water soluble, which makes cleanup easier. It's also inexpensive. Soda glass clean can clean metals quite safely, but it's <clears throat> but it will raise the grain on softwoods, and it doesn't effectively remove paints from masonry. Baking soda is slightly alkaline which could damage surface surrounding paints or react with acidic materials. This abrasive is most suitable for big projects. The equipment required is quite large. So ice has one major advantage if you only have to discard the debris, not the blasting medium. Standard ice powdered to the size needed and dry ice frozen carbon dioxide pellets can clean and strip metal, concrete, or brick without damage. But they work slowly. Like most blasting media, ice will raise the grain of the wood and it doesn't remove deep stains. In some cases of dry ice, good good ventilation is quite the must. So museums are experimenting with lasers to intricate and to excretate dirt and paint off the surface of small artifacts in the, the in theory, lasers can be tuned to burn certain colors, which means that they could remove one layer of paint, but say not the next. This this could be the future of abrasive blasting, and especially for furniture and architectural conservators. But for now, technical limitations and costs make la- lasers ins- unsuitable for buildings. Even with new methods and, and media, blasting has potential to be destructive careful testing and monitoring of the process is essential so always find a place that you know is kind of out of the ordinary that won't be right up front and and test it with your media and your pressure so um so i think we've come a long way with blasting media and techniques and uh it's going to carry us back into the future with this type of process for removing paint and and pollution from building surfaces so Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. Hope you all enjoyed episode 211.